Welcome back to another episode of the Food for Thought podcast. I'm your host, Erin Hallstrom. This episode is part five of our Influential Women in Food series, where we're honoring women that have affected change for their colleagues and peers in the food and beverage industry. With us today is Jonna Hightower, Senior Lead Assessor with LRQA. Jonna is the epitome of an influential woman in the food industry. She describes herself as having a passion for teaching and sharing knowledge, and it's something she's known about herself since elementary school. That passion also shows up when she's lending her expertise and counsel to the numerous women she works with. In this episode, we start things off talking about how Jana found herself in the role of an assessor. Like many of the women we've talked to in this series, Jana didn't go to college with the ambition of being in the role she is today. True to her knowledge-sharing self, she offers guidance on how one might enter the profession before we shift to talking about Jana's passion for training and supporting those around her. We talk about the importance of defining what success looks like, as well as how Jana has elevated numerous women by way of guiding them through learning plans and professional development. We dig into what drives Jana to offer the kind of support she does, as well as how she's helped pave the way for other women in the food and beverage industry. We dip our toes into a conversation about work-life balance before ending the episode talking about the advice Jana has received and would give those who are entering the workforce. Enjoy the episode! Welcome to this special Influential Women in Food episode of the Food for Thought podcast. Let's kick things off by getting to know a little bit more about you. How are you serving the food and beverage industry right now? Thank you, Erin. It's nice to be, be here. So currently I'm a senior lead assessor with LRQA, focusing on food safety and quality audits, including FSSC, ISO 9001, and HACCP, and I also support supplier quality programs. I travel throughout the U.S. and Canada, and I am on the road for about 40 to 45 weeks per year on average. I can't even fathom what it must be like to travel that much. I mean, I love a plane ride as much as the next person, which actually I do enjoy them, but I can't even fathom that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to the, the travel portion. Can you walk me through how you arrived at the role that you're at now? Um, did you grow up wanting to do this, or what did you go to school for? I'm very curious. Right. So I had actually not planned to enter the food industry at all. Uh, When I got out of college, I was just looking for a job that would use my microbiology degree. And the first role I got was as a QC technician in a dairy plant. So at that time, I was still debating on whether or not I wanted to even go back to college. So I had no real plan. I just, I just needed a job. So after about a year of working in the lab, I decided that, yes, I wanted to continue working, but I needed to get out of the lab. I was incredibly bored. Um, I struggled with the monotony of the role. And luckily, my manager called me in and showed me a posting for the vendor supplier auditor. And I had no idea at the time I applied what an auditor did. I had never been involved in internal auditing. Um, And being new to the industry, I was only in it for a year. I had limited experience with the different roles in the industry. So uh, I talked to the hiring manager, 
let him know all these things. And he's like, don't worry, we'll train you. We want to hire someone from within. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And it ended up being a job that I really loved, offers constant change. You're always somewhere different. And I continued down this path. It's been 15 years now, um, and I've visited uh, over 200-plus manufacturing facilities throughout the Americas and uh, down into Peru. So let's say there's a college student or a recent grad listening to this, and here's, here's an auditor role. I'm curious. Um, I'm sure many people listening know, but what does an auditor do? What do you do in your role? Uh, all right. So basically what an auditor does is they have a standard that they're looking at or following. So this could be a HACCP Alimentaria standard. It could be the FSSC 22000 standard um, or another type of GFSI standard that's used in the industry. And we go in and based on that standard, we do physical walks of the manufacturing facility, we do document record reviews in the facility, and we look for any gaps, anything that could impact food safety if it wasn't corrected, uh, and focus heavily on continual improvement of their uh, systems. Now, as an auditor, we are not able to tell them how to fix it. So our job really is to just identify the gap or the weakness in their system. A consultant then would be someone who would go in and their role is to help the manufacturing plant actually fix the problem and give examples of, of what that would be. So that's a little bit of a difference between an auditor and a consultant. I know that um, you have a passion for training and supporting those around you, especially when it comes to your female colleagues. Can you explain some of the training and support that you've provided? Uh, sure, yeah. So I have worked with my last three employers uh, to play a part in training. I have focused on various uh, food safety topics, internal requirements, new technology, regulatory requirements. All of that is on a larger level, a group level. And then on an individual level, I've worked one-on-one -on -one with women to broaden their resource pool and create learning plans to support various role types and avenues of success. So with my travels, I've gone to manufacturing sites of every size and shape. And I often, often find that the smaller sites struggle the most with having any type of formal learning or development program. And so uh, for me, my first experience with this was actually with a QA manager at the site, and she wanted to know, how, how do I become an auditor? How do I get to where you are? And I spent the, the rest of the day speaking to her, talking to her, obviously auditing at the same time. And I realized she didn't have support for her development beyond the general training that was required for her role. And she really didn't have any idea of resources that she could go and look at. So we, we kept in touch and I worked with her on ways to gain experience in her current role that would help support moving to a role in auditing, which she did accomplish about a year and a half later uh, after we worked together. And then um, another example, of, which is a different experience, which I've run into a lot as well in the food industry, is that um, a woman who had been in her role for a long time, she had no intention. She, she didn't want to move up the corporate ladder. She loved her role. She wanted to stay in it. And unfortunately, what I see in a lot of cases is that the company is great 
at moving women up the ladder, but not at keeping and continually developing someone who has interest in becoming an expert in their area. So a lot of managers, they're kind of at a loss of what to do if, if a woman decides that, hey, I, I don't want to be the next CEO. I want to be an expert in this. I want to focus all my attention on these types of programs. And so the big thing that I ask all the women that I work with in this is what is their definition of success? Because as we come out of college, our definition of success is kind of skewed. We're basically told you're successful if you climb up the ladder and you're a CEO or a VP or you, you own your own business, and we don't tend to explore other avenues of success like being a successful you know, author, being a, an expert in your industry, in your business, um, things like that. So with her, um, I worked with her on finding resources that were focused around improving her technical skills, advanced classes, advanced trainings and seminars, and basically focused her on becoming that area expert um, so that she can continue to grow, continue to learn, continue to develop, while also staying in the role that she she loved and adored. Uh, so that's just a couple of examples of, of how I've supported women uh, in the industry. And they had very different needs, very different goals. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes the bosses don't know how to support all the different ways that their employees want to go. And so it becomes difficult for them to continue to improve and continue to develop because they run out of resources. So that's something that I've been working to, to do. And of course, with my travel, I'm all over the place. I've been to so many places. And I've run into some plants where the, the QA manager, for instance, has been there for five years. And They've never been to a seminar. Every single training that they've done has been online, have very little contact with the outside world, with industry, with a lot of those resources that would help them grow and, and develop. So that's essentially the, the goal that I have as I, as I move through my career is, is hopefully to bring some of those women along with me. I love what you said or when you asked. Um, the women you work with, what is the definition of success for you? I love that. It is so important, and I think it's lost on a lot of us, myself included, that you know, one person's picture of success is not necessarily everybody else's. One of the things I wanted to ask you about regarding those learning plans and development you've helped with is what drives you? to help elevate um, women this way? Well, first, I've always had a passion for teaching and sharing knowledge. And that actually goes all the way back to elementary school. I would finish my work. I would get up and help somebody else uh, tutored through junior high and uh, high school into college. Um, so I've, I've always had a joy for teaching and sharing knowledge with other people. The second part of that is, is in my first role, I didn't have any plan development support. Um, they trained me how to do my role, and that mostly consisted of my boss handing me a two to three page article and saying, here, build me a supplier quality assurance program. 
and I had no idea what that was. And so a lot of my development is stuff that I found on my own. It was spending hours on the computer trying to find uh, you know, free webinars, trying to find uh, trainings, things that I could go through to, to basically build a program that I had never even seen before. And so that was a definite struggle. Where I was lucky is that while my boss didn't really micromanage or really create a plan for me in any way, he was very willing to sign off on just about anything that I asked him for. So if I, was, if I wanted to go to this seminar, he'd be, great, you know, you're good, go to the seminar. If I wanted to work on a project, great, you know, work on the project. Um, and it wasn't until I got to my next company that I realized how beneficial an actual plan is when you're, when you're working on your development. Because for me, I, I was really doing a zigzag and getting ne not necessarily anywhere fast uh, in my first role. Whereas with my, my second role, my second company, I was able to create a more consistent plan and I really had um, more resources to look at. And I also had a, a larger group of women in varying different roles that were able to support. And one thing I also didn't have in my first role was there weren't a lot of women, truthfully, in leadership roles in my first job. Um, there was the HR director, um, and then there was one other person when I first started, and when I left there, there were three women total um, out of all of our management group. So not a lot to, to work on, and of course none of them were in quality and food safety, which was really my focus at the time. So having been deprived of some of that and then realizing how amazing it is to have that support, that's part of what drives me to, to give these women this support um, because they're not necessarily getting it and they don't know don't necessarily know where to look for it. Can you talk to me more about some of the ways you helped pave the way for other women in the food and beverage industry? For me, uh, answering that question is a little difficult. As to tell you the truth, I've just been doing what I think is the best way to do it. And But for me, really, it's been working with those individuals that haven't had that mentorship before. And then they're taking that, and several of the women that I have worked with have now, one, taken on um, mentories of their own, so new women that are coming into their business or their company, or their bosses have seen the, the changes and how well the plans work and have actually started working with some of, the, some of them on creating formal plans. And so the more we can get the resources out and the more that we can get that information out and create those ongoing mentorships, um, the more that women coming in, especially in those smaller businesses, sometimes coming from very small towns, the more they're going to be able to grow and, and basically add to the industry where before it was, it was just really a nonstop struggle. I love the domino effect of that. I think that is important, and that's how women in kind of these, the male-dominated, like you said in your one role, that there weren't a lot of women in leadership positions. I feel like there is this domino effect of the more women we work with and mentor, 
and and grow into different roles, the more we're going to see. So I want to go back to your travel. Um, I'm very curious about this. Um, what? Because you travel so much. What does free time look like for you? Do you have free time? What do you do in your free time? Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of it. Uh, I will be honest. Um, I do try to make space so that I, I, I can breathe. Uh, I own a uh, horse that I board, um, and so I go and visit him on the weekends. He actually just turned 20 years old last month. And uh, I have a couple cats, and for the most part, I you know, go on hikes, enjoy nature, um, and just basically take, take breathers. And so that's what I do in my spare time. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a job that can make it very difficult to have a work-life balance. I wanted to ask you, kind of end the, the episode with advice. What is a piece of advice that you were given early on in your career that you still use today? So probably the, the piece of advice that I call out the most, and, and keep in mind, I, I can't say that I follow it 100%, is um, actually from one of the salespeople I used to work with uh, when I first started auditing. And basically it was slow down, take a breath, the burnout is not worth it. And I have, I have gone through burnout a couple of times. So I, like I said, I don't always follow this piece of advice. But it is, it is true because when we hit burnout, what happens is we, we basically lose our drive, we lose our interest, and the first thing to go out the window typically is our development and our learning. We get to a point where we're just putting one foot in front of the other. And so as a piece of advice goes, it's, it's a really good one. Hard to follow sometimes, but definitely something that everyone should keep front in mind, and especially in this day and age. Okay, last question, and I'm going to flip the script a little bit. You, as we know, you have mentored women um, throughout your career. So... You as the mentee or the mentor to your mentees, what two or three pieces of advice would you give them? Um, so definitely if, if they're newer into the industry, if they're coming in as, as starting roles, the first thing I would say is explore. Uh, there's so many women that come in and they, they get a QC role and they never step out of that QC role. And then they get to a situation where they, they've been in that role or been in QC for how many other years and they feel stuck because they can't flex out of it due to personal reasons, uh, professional reasons. And so what I would say is, is, is step out of your role. Go through a couple different roles. Look at the different types of manufacturing. Um, look at the, the, the different types of, of quality that you can do, sensory, all this other stuff, and, and find what you like and what you enjoy. And the thing that this does, this, this movement, is one, you get exposure to a whole bunch of, of excellent information and future um, activities and learning that you can do to support other people, to support your role, to, to get to a better role, all of that experience is great. You also uh, get to experience different management styles, which also helps you to understand, you know, how well do I function under these certain types of management styles, which one's better, 
Um, and lastly, you also get to really see the different company cultures if you're able to move to, to different plants in your career. So that, that would be the first one for new people coming in because when they're coming in, they have a lot more ability to do that lateral movement that, that you really don't get further on in your career. The second one I would say would be um, while you own your development plan, you're responsible for doing the work, never be afraid to ask for help from everyone and anyone. Um, I see it a lot where uh, younger individuals get stuck thinking that the only person that they can go to is their boss. And that's, that's not realistic. They have so many other resources. Um, if, if they see a trainer that's there that's, that's come in to do an external class, ask those questions. If they get a chance to talk to a, an auditor, um, you know, ask those questions. It's, it's perfectly fine uh, to do that. And of course, there's a lot of great uh, electronic resources that you can reach out, but definitely don't limit yourself to, to one person um, and expect that you're going to get a nice, broad development plan. And then probably the last part is, is that taking a step back to gain an important skill is not a failure. <laughs> it's, it's a step in the right direction. So. I do run into that as well as that. Uh, so for even for me, this occurred as well as I went straight from the lab to a corporate position. And I didn't go anywhere in between where I gained uh, direct management experience and had direct reports. And so what I see when women go this path is that they then really struggle when they want to take on a management role because they're looking continually up um, and they're not looking about taking a step backwards. And in a lot of cases, once you hit a certain level in corporate, then you're at the same level or close to the same level as a QA manager. But a lot of sites don't want to hire someone who's had no experience as a QA manager. Letting people know and understanding that you're not a failure if you have to step down and be a supervisor, even though it's a, a little lower than where you're at now, because being that supervisor will give you those skills to help you move forward um, 10 steps. So that would be the, probably the last piece I would give them. You have provided so much great information, not only about what you do, but a lot of great advice for women coming into the industry who've been in it for a while. Um, lots of people, a lot of great information and advice here. So thank you so much for being on this special Influential Women in Food episode of the Food for Thought podcast. everyone listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.